I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. We're going to be covering history today, and it's something which I don't think we've covered very much on the podcast in previous episodes. So I'm delighted to welcome Barbara Ann Mahika, and she's the author of the award-winning book series, Little Miss History. Now, Barbara's been a lifelong educator in the fields of early childhood and special education, having spent many years as a teacher, principal, and school district administrator. Retirement has brought with it the opportunity to return to her love of history. And as you'll hear from this interview, she is putting so much effort and um, passion into, into what she loves to help so many people. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation about Little Miss History and Barbara Ann Mahika. Hi, Barbara. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. It's always great to be able to cover different parts of education. I know you've got a, a wide history in terms of being involved in schools, but history itself isn't something which um, we've covered a vast amount on the show. So I'm excited to see where that passion comes from and, and how it's being shown in what you're doing. So thanks very much for being here. Thank you very much for my, inviting me, Mark. So let's talk, what is Little Miss History and, and what is it that you're being able to, to share with the world? Well, Little Miss History is a cartoon-like character who was created by my husband, who also happens to be an illustrator and an artist. And it was developed for my book series I, after I retired from teaching and administration after a very long career. I decided almost instantly I didn't want to be retired. So <laughs> I started writing uh, articles for a local news magazine, history articles, very short uh, history articles. And then I said to myself, well, I really want to write for children because I miss working with children. So uh, I decided I would write a children's book series of nonfiction books. And my husband suggested that I use a character to narrate because one of my goals was to make learning about history fun and alive for children. So he developed this little cartoon character and we called her Little Miss History. The character is a version of my younger self and she is kind of an explorer, a curious and inquisitive traveler who loves learning about people and places past and present. So she looks like a teenage or young 20s version of myself. I used to love to go hiking in the nearby mountains. So I, I she's dressed in a kind of hiking or national park camper type outfit. And she has pigtails, which I used to wear. 
Uh, she wears rose-colored glasses because she's optimistic and always wants to look on the bright side of things. There's always hope for a better future. And she wears these oversized hiking boots, and they're in memory of my father who had used feet. So <laughs> she's a, a, just a composite of me. And uh, the word history, uh, some people, of course, will look at it and see story within it. And it, it does consist of a lot of stories. But the word itself comes from the Greek, which means to seek or to look into. So it's looking into knowledge, looking into ourselves. And we are all wrapped up into stories. So uh, our families are, are wrapped in memories of stories. Our, our community is a collection of people and cultures that are wrapped up in memories. So, uh, that's kind of the, the way the concept developed. And what I wanted to do was to make an impression upon children and their families, the adults who, of course, will in many cases be reading the books to children, that history is critical because how can we possibly understand how we got to where we are today or make any type of plan for our future if we don't know where we came from. So uh, history is giving us that knowledge and history is developing the critical thinking skills that are necessary to succeed in life. Uh, and, and my feeling is that today, uh, at least here in the United States, history is largely ignored. It's not really taught in the schools at much at all until you get to the high school level. And then it's considered a secondary subject. So I wanted to uh, um, make clear the value of history as a critical uh, thinking skill. And the schools are in most cases, teaching to a test, to a standard. Uh, it's it's not how to think. It's it's what you need to to get by and 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 to move to the next level. So history is a way of learning so much about ourselves, uh, our our communities. And the, and the larger world, because uh, history shapes who and what all of us are, whether whether we're looking at individuals or or our families or our communities or the world itself. So one of the first things that I offer people when they are interested in the Little Miss History books are I offer them a, a uh tip sheet on, on, on 14 reasons why you need to study history. And um, I, I, I'm hoping that when children read the books and they are picture books so they can learn uh, and visualize themselves in the places if they don't actually get to visit the places themselves, they, they are immersing themselves into um, multidisciplinary study of things there I'm talking about environments I'm talking about cultures I'm talking about people and in some cases these people are not the big names in history 
but they're little known people who have been forgotten. So I try to bring all of those elements out and then to develop in children the methods of planting the seed and, and asking the important questions and becoming uh, thinkers who are going to not only learn, but they're going to analyze. They're going to be able to infer and reason. They're going to be able to communicate with other people. And ultimately, they're, they're going to be able to solve problems. And I can imagine it must be very freeing as someone who's been so involved in education in so many different levels over the years to to be able to sort of retire and be out of the system directly to be able to then show up in an educational sense like you said where it's not about the test it's not about the things that are perceived to be what you have to do in school but just purely about the the love of learning and the understanding and all those most important things that you've been talking about there that must just fill you with a sense of of almost release uh, relief i guess in, in in some ways um and, and just tell me a little bit about in terms of the age of, of, of who the the books are designed for well, the books are uh, picture books. So I have fans that are as young as four years old, but the targeted age is really uh, kindergarten through sixth grade. So ba basically from about age five or six to about 12. And the reading level hits more uh, of a, uh, of, of a uh, eight, eight to 12 year old, but a, a lot of uh, teachers use the books uh, as uh, read alouds. And when I go into schools, which unfortunately I haven't been able to do as much recently because of COVID, but I gear the, uh, I gear my presentation to the age of the children. So with, with the younger children, I emphasize going through the pictures and the visuals and with the older children i get into deeper questions of you know more of the critical thinking and asking them to analyze give opinions and suggestions as to how they could use that to solve problems and you mentioned that it's a series and, and you've got lots of books there so can you give us a sort of a potted sort of guide to the sorts of things in the areas that you cover? Well, I, I cover everything from prehistory uh, pretty much up to modern times. So I have a book on the La Brea Tar Pits. So we talk about science. We talk about fossils. We talk about um, how scientists work as uh, in archaeology, uh, the and what it was like during prehistoric times. Uh, we go into the museum and, and they look at the fossils and, and um, the, uh, the, ev the evidence that the scientists are using. Uh, then uh, I have books that are about military history. So I have a book on the Intrepid Sea, Air and Space Museum, which is docked in New York City. And in that book, we we cover uh, all kinds of uh, time periods. We on the deck there were planes from World War One. Uh, then we have examples of World War Two. You can the children can go into the Explorium. They can uh, do hands-on uh, visits, uh, climbing into a helicopter that was used in the Vietnam War. 
uh, looking at movies uh, that are actual footage of World War II, climbing into a space capsule that was recovered by the intrepid, uh, looking at the uh, submarine Growler, which is a nuclear submarine, which is uh, parked right next door to the intrepid. Uh, so it's a very multi-dimensional experience uh, that uh, covers all kinds of history. And there's even the uh, space shuttle Enterprise, which is docked in a, in a special bubble right uh, on the ship. And then I have another military history book about the battleship Iowa. And uh, there, there are, uh, again, um, worldwide experiences there. I have a book on the North Pole. And in that book, uh, I talk about the Arctic. I talk about the fact that no one actually owns the North Pole. It's in, uh, uh, in the tundra region. There are eight nations that lay claim to the North Pole. Uh, I, I show them the flags of the nations. They learn a little bit about um, the environment of the Arctic, the animals that live there. Uh, and then, of course, we get into Santa Claus and the, the myths that preceded Santa Claus and the development of the whole Santa Claus uh, culture. Um, so that's a, another aspect. I talk about some of the national parks, like Sequoia National Park. And uh, in that one, we, uh, we talk about the uh, Native Americans who first lived there. We talk about the early settlers. We talk about the environment and how even though national, it's a national park, it's actually unhealthy to breathe the air there at times. It's, one of, it's the most polluted national park in, in the entire system. And we talk about the environment and what they can do to change the environment. In my Mount Rushmore book, we, we talk about uh, the iconic uh, heads of the four presidents on Mount Rushmore, but we also talk about little known history like the secret room behind the heads on Mount Rushmore, how it was built, uh, the, the Native American uh, aspect of it, how the land was taken from the Native Americans, and how uh, the Native Americans are building their own monuments, the Crazy Horse Memorial nearby. We talk about indigenous rights and, 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 and uh, what children think about that. So that, that's just kind of an overview. Uh, the books are really, they're history, but they're multidisciplinary. I cover geography, I cover environment, I cover science, I talk about archaeology. Uh, military history, cultural history. We, we visit some of the president's houses like FDR's home and museum in, in Hyde Park and uh, George Washington's home at Mount Vernon and how George Washington's real passion was farming. What he wanted to do most in life was to be a farmer, even though he's most famous as a president and a, as a military leader. So um, there are many, many dimensions and, and many, many aspects of, of uh, critical thinking that could be explored within the books. Yeah, I really love that. And I can I can already 
imagine you know reading this to one of my children and it actually then like you say opening up those questions and discussions and, and all of those different facets that you mentioned I think that's really really important and I also like the fact that you know while there'll be many Americans listening that would make perfect sense in terms of, of the sorts of things that you've covered even here in the UK you know there are plenty of things that you've mentioned there that we'd be very aware of but because of the way you framed it, because of the way you go about talking about all these things, it it must um it must be available for everyone worldwide, really. Yes, they're available worldwide on, on Amazon. So, why do you think um history per se within the education system is is like you said not one of the primary subjects in in the way that it ought to be is it just something which is dissipated over time is it just the fact that because of the the english in mass focus everything else doesn't quite have enough time what was that was part of your experience when you were sort of leading schools well when i first started teaching uh, i was teaching uh with the general population of of children uh in a in a kind of regular classroom environment. I started out in a private school uh, and then I, I moved into special ed because I became aware that that education wasn't meeting the needs of a lot of kids. So I became very interested in special ed and I went did a total 180 and uh, I started to work with children with very severe special needs like crack cocaine babies and uh, autism and, you know, children with a lot of medical disabilities. So I, I went a totally different route for a while. Um, but um, I think um, it it was gradual over time as the, the, the push to meet standards uh, became more and more the emphasis. And I think here in the States, it was a gradual transition uh, from the, the states having control of education to a federal government, more, more of a, a control on the education, the common core idea that everyone had to meet these same standards. And as that became the focus, the focus shifted to math and English uh, and teach, you know, teaching uh, the standards, making everyone come up to a certain level. But it hasn't succeeded uh, because uh, we have so much diversity here in the United States, so many cultures, so many languages, that in trying to develop a test, it, it falls apart almost immediately because you have children who cannot even understand the test. And they, they come from a different culture that is not familiar with the with what's presented in the testing material. So the, in, in trying to bring everybody up to this kind of arbitrary standard, uh, it began, began to fall apart. You know, they spend more and more time preparing because these children uh, weren't even up to being able to understand the language of the testing you know it's more and more hours geared toward that so the uh, the other subjects on the periphery kind of suffered and um and the time allotted became less and less and less and then it became more of a social uh teaching than a a uh 
historical teaching. So it became geared toward, oh, your community, what can you do in your community? But a very vague, very amorphous, nothing really substantial. So it just kind of got pushed aside, more or less. And um, and it's sad because children uh, living in our country today have a very little understanding of government, of how it works, of, you know, of, of how it came to be. Um, it's it's just um, very very sad in you know in, in in my respect, and I think that's why we have so much div- uh, divisiveness now, because there's just so little understanding of what we have in common, rather than what separates us. And I think one of the things that I sort of feel sort of. Um heartened by is the fact that you know having been through this and you sort of seen it from sort of the inside out is the fact that i'm always sort of reminded by the fact that everybody involved with children that sort of community sense of whether you're the parent whether you're teachers whether you're um or however you're involved you know external clubs whatever it happens to be we all have our part to play and I think someone someone like yourself who's been involved in the system and now has the time and the expertise to be able to write something like this, which hopefully will engage many, 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 many um, pupils um, as as children who are being, like I say, read to by their parents or by somebody looking after them, that kind of gives them that sense that we would maybe hope happens in every school, but maybe isn't the case. But being able to get it into their life in some way as as that sort of global community i think is something which is which is very exciting but also sort of very important and wherever we can get that message out hence the reason you know this podcast exists to share this sort of creative and inspiring learning you know so that someone somewhere just thinks ah it's not quite as i might hope it would be this education system or this way of learning but we can find the material that's well put together or we can find a a situation where we can we can share these wonderful things with the children that we're looking after and I think all, we all have a responsibility to teach these kind kind of critical life skills that history does so much to uh, to give us an example of. Um, you know, parents have to teach curiosity even in very very young children. If you take a young child out on a walk in the community and you just teach them to say a couple of words like I wonder uh you know looking at an old house oh I wonder who used to live there I wonder what the people were like I wonder what they ate I wonder what they thought about you know just getting children into asking those so important questions the how did this happen why did this happen you know who did it you know what what was it that occurred and then teaching them to find um solutions to everyday problems you know not doing it for them so many parents they they are so busy they're so overwhelmed um, it's easier just to do it rather than 
ask the child to find the solution. So, you know, teach children that they have to find solutions to problems too. We're not always going to be there to do it for them. And and teach, teaching them that change is okay, you know. Uh, sometimes changes happen and, and we have to learn to adapt and, and to um, change with things. But at the same time, allowing them a certain boldness, you know, uh, encourage them to try new things. Encourage them to believe that there's more than one way to solve a problem and that they can try something new. And if it doesn't work, they can try another path, alternate solutions again. So making them aware that, you know, there are passions in life. Some of those passions are good. Some of them are not good, but we should always be willing you know, to try and, you know, setting good example for them. Well, you know, all of these little things that we are all teachers and, uh, you know, parents, uh, babysitters, uh, the teachers in the classrooms, uh, employers, we're all teachers and, and we all have to find our way and and children have to learn at a young age that they need to find their way as well i think really that's that's so key isn't it and i think it's these kind of conversations it's it's the awareness of all of those things and it really sounds from how you've described your books and how you put them together with that sort of that focus of the history and 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 the characterization of everything that you can actually hang your hat on but then like you say with these broader questions and understandings and conversations that are going to come out of it it's a real fantastic sort of starting point for all those sorts of things can let's sort of dive a little bit back in in, into your past in terms of your school experience was there something particularly valuable which you remember and I guess that may well take you into your sort of professional sort of teaching experience as well or was there a particular teacher that you remember and, and what was sort of so important about that well, a particular teacher that I remember, I remember mostly my really good teachers and my really bad teachers. <laughs> I had some really bad math teachers and um, that turned me off uh, math for, for a long time. I had some really great teachers too. Uh, one in particular uh, in high school, uh, a teacher who really became a ter- turning one of the biggest turning points in my life I had a history teacher uh, and she taught world history she bounced around the room with such animation and fire and enthusiasm that that uh, really set the the, uh, the spark in me uh, I always loved history I always liked finding out about people and where they went and what they did but she really brought that to life and I became uh, very very uh, close to her uh, I joined one of the clubs that she uh, was the moderator of, which was a forensic club. And I had never done any kind of speaking at all, but um, I joined that club and, and, and I, so I became a little 
uh, familiar with, with her on a personal level. And she drew me aside one day and told me, you really ought to go to college. And I, that was not in my future uh, at all. Uh, I was set to go on a, a different path, a kind of like commercial skill type thing, learning stenography typing. That was the plan. And my parents uh, didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have a lot of education. Uh, and um, they just wanted me to get a good job. And that, that was the plan. And she said, you really ought to go to college. And I switched gears and I started to take uh, academic courses that would prepare me for college. And she's the one that put the spark in my head. My whole life would have been different uh, had I not done that. But on the other hand, the education that I started out in, that commercial kind of uh, stenography typing, that helped me get through college because it allowed me to get temporary jobs um, when I was going to college that helped me earn money for books and, and expenses and so on. So uh, there was a little bit of an irony there. But uh. <laughs> And I, I love the fact that, you know, every part of your journey is in, in, important, whether it's showing you what not to do, whether it's showing you what to do. And like you said, even there, you know, the skills that you've learned where you thought you were heading, you then use and they sort of become part of your your new world to enable you to study in your particular case. And I think it's always it's always good not to think that you've ever wasted time or, or wasted an experience because they always come back to support you in some way or another. Um, what was the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Or, or is there a piece of advice you give your younger self looking back as a as a young Barbara that you'd like to share? Um, a piece of advice I would have given myself as a young child would have been to try more new things and be more confident about trying new things. Uh, because I was never worried about school. I always put myself 100% into learning and school because I just love to read. I'd love to study. I love to find out new things. And I applied myself completely to that. But I didn't try a lot of things outside of school. I didn't join clubs. Uh, I wasn't very social. I had a few good friends and I didn't really push myself out in social circles. And I was a little bit too afraid of failing. I gave up too easily. So I tried roller skating and I wasn't good at that. I fell down and scraped my knee and right away, okay, I gave up. Okay, I don't want to roller skate. So I... Uh, now I'm exactly the opposite. You know, I, I'm very persistent and, and I persevere when I decide I want to do something. I go go for it, you know. But when I was a child, I didn't do that. And I think uh, maybe my parents should have pushed me more. Uh, like I say, I think parents should push their children to try different things and encourage them in their passions. Uh, but Again, uh, they weren't in a position to provide me with access to doing a lot of things, you know, so uh, it really wasn't their fault in that. But myself, I should have pushed myself more in, in that regard, I think.
Yeah, and I think that that sort of fear of failure is something which many people can I identify. And there's the, you know there's a whole other podcast about how you go about doing that and pushing yourself out there and uh, and doing that. But I mean, it's interesting because um you know we're about to talk about a resource um which has a, a an impact on our lives, and it can be a podcast, a book, a video, a film, or a song. And I know certainly for me, um there's usually a song or a film that kind of gave me that confidence to do something, or gave me a kind of an insight or a change of direction that I didn't have naturally. So, is there one of those things which which you remember that had an impact for you? Well, curiously, I think for me it would be a song too. For, there was, um, I will survive. Uh, whenever I had a tough point in my life, that song would always come back in my head. So when I went through a very tough divorce, uh, it, that helped me. Uh, when I got laid off from uh, a position very unexpectedly, uh, due to budget cuts, that that song helped me through, and and I did survive, and I did come out the other side much much better for it. So, um, yeah, I I think that song would be the thing. Yeah, I think I think you. Like you say, there's something about music. I mean, as a musician myself, there's something about music which just kind of gets right to the heart of, of everything. And I think certain specific songs like that, like you say, they sort of pinpoint various parts of your life which which can feel supportive and very sort of, um, I don't know, there's something about being home in some way, which I think is that sense of knowing who you are. And like you say, then giving yourself that strength and that understanding and, and the ability to move forward. Um, now fire is very important to us here on the podcast and and by that of course we're always talking about feedback inspiration um resilience and empowerment so what what of those four things what does fire in that regard mean to you and what are your experiences with it uh, i guess uh resilience would ring true with me uh I, you know i had to uh changed paths uh quite a few times uh in, in my life um one time i was in graduate school um i had feedback played played a, an important part in that too i had a professor who i had taken uh courses with during the summer as an undergraduate and he unbeknownst to me, put my name in for a, a scholarship to a graduate program in history. And I got that scholarship and, you know, he, uh, that feedback when I got that letter was, was one of the shocks of my life. But then I, I, I went on and I pursued a master's degree and I decided I wanted to go all the way for a PhD. And I started to go for the PhD, but it turned out that that program uh, wasn't really geared toward my specialty at that time, which was ancient and medieval history. So I had all kinds of roadblocks uh, to getting the courses I needed. And then one of the professors who was uh, the key person in my field of history decided to leave and go to the University of Chicago. And I was in New York. 
So I couldn't follow him. My program fell apart and I more or less couldn't pursue the degree because there was no access to the rest of the courses that I would need. So that was a bit of resilience that I had to, I had to decide what was I going to do. So uh, I went into uh, a whole different aspect. I threw myself into the teaching end of it. And I kind of let the history go for a while. But then, of course, I returned to it again. Uh, so you know, it's kind of a cycle. You have to kind of, you know, sometimes you're going to be thrown for a loop. Uh, be, and uh, you, you have to be able to adapt. So I've been inspired by a lot of people like that teacher that I, I told you about. Uh, the resilience, you know, I had to come back a lot. When I was laid off from a very good administrative position due to a budget reorganization in New York City, which uh, where I was living at the time. And I had to, I was out of work and I had to go back to doing something else. So from being an administrator, uh, I had to go back to being a teacher again. But that led to a whole new opportunity working uh, with special needs children on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So I became uh, interested in working with uh, children with special needs uh, as an individual teaching provider and then as a team teacher. So again, it led me to new avenues uh, of exploration. So all of those things I think are, are important. But resilience probably, res you know, resounds the most with me. Yeah, that word of sort of exploratory and, uh, and that kind of sense that no matter what happens to you, you know, it opens another door. It shows you a different way. You meet new people. Um, I think sometimes we have a grand plan and that might be like you say history is so important to you that's the that's the grand plan but what that looks like when it comes to you when you have the time or when you have a different inclination to take it in a different direction you know the, exactly what that looks like seems to be different as as we go through our lives and i think being adaptable and like say resilient to about how that looks and and how we can how we can do it and it and it just sounds to me just sort of having spoken for this sort of 40 minutes or so that you know that combination of interest in people and learning and history and what's really important to to support children to to grow and to thrive you know it's all of those experiences that you've talked about which has made such a such a big difference and i, I just i just love that fact that we when we can sort of stand back far enough and and see that in the in the round as it were you sort of get a real picture of of all of those skills and all the understanding that you need in order to fulfill your life as probably it's meant to be despite all of those different facets that we've said so Barbara, thank you so much for chatting to me. Um, I really love what you've come up with. I love the fact that the characterization and the illustrations and all of that are going to appeal to so many people, as well as, as we said, all that in-depth understanding, learning and knowledge that comes through your book. So so share with everyone where they can where they can find the books and your website and, and how they can get in contact with you. Well, the best place to go is the website, uh, and it's simply www.littlemisshistory.com. 
www.ellenbarnett.com. And from there, you can get to all of my resources. So I have a blog. On my blog, I review children's books and other kinds of family-friendly literature, so for all ages. I write articles uh, with parenting tips and teaching tips and even author tips, my experience as an author and how that has gone. I have a YouTube channel and on that channel I have many teaching lessons for uh, children. I have videos for children on kids history. Again, I have videos with tips. I have podcasts. I have a multitude of resources there for uh, parents, teachers, and children. I also have uh, on my um, social media accounts uh, different learning avenues. I post them on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. So there are a, a wide variety of resources that I make available to parents and um, most of them are free. Uh, I, I am trying to kind of put together groups of these resources and I may uh, be doing some kind of uh, webinars or uh, coaching in, in the future as well. Fantastic. Well, it's certainly keeping you very busy. It doesn't sound like you're very retired. <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. I think before. I work seven days a week now. <laughs> <laughs> but doing it in your own way and in your own terms. So it's fantastic. Barbara, thank you so much. And I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.